Each week, nearly a dozen movies are released theatrically. 40 films a month, more than 400 a year. That's a plethora of cinema. Too much cinema. You'd have to be an addict to see all that. But don't fret. We've got you covered. This is Cinematics. Hey-o! Welcome to Cinematics, episode 158. I am Anderson. I believe there are films here and there. That's Greg Serzavati. He uh, used to be a Broadcast Film Critics Association member. Now he's just a manny. Or he's also a <laughs> Critics' Choice Award recipient. No? Yes, uh, giver, CCA. Uh, he knows movies. He's been reviewing <laughs> movies professionally for 30-plus years. Thank God I have somebody like this on my side who's not a smug, bald, uh, unknowing about movies person in my life. Gregor, you know what? You? Thank you for the compliments. I just heard from Greg, our oh, – yes, sir. Greg, can Greg, you hear me? We're starting off very poorly. I can what no happened? longer hear you like I could hear you before. Oh, what, what you happened? Can't, what did you do? Uh, no, no. I'm, 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 you can't hear me at I all? I can't hear you at all. Uh, check your uh, – I got nothing. I'm actually – hello? Oh, hello? I know the problem. It's me. Okay. Good, 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 good. Ah, see, <laughs> okay. I'm, mix, I'm mixing at my end. Yes, and I yes. had the music on the same sh- – ah, you idiot, Callan. <laughs> no, we're oh, good. We're good. This comes on the heels of me giving Greg some like, constructive criticism too, right before the show started, and then I and then I do that. Oh, you know that. You, okay, listeners, Anderson did not give me constructive criticism. He just get pointed out a couple of things, and I I wanted to correct Anderson. He was very very cool about intros and whatnot. So I'm going to correct that. The one criticism he did give me, though, I heard from our fellow narc. I mean, our friend Andrew Martin. He mentioned that on TFB, aka the Film Vault, there was a mention of my name saying. That my favorite film is usually the last film I saw. Where does where does that what is the root of that of that analysis, Anderson Gowan? A uh, reality? Oh, oh, come on! Is that really a reality? No, actually, the last episode that you did with the old Bruce and Eric <laughs> over there, I was actually stunned and actually Uh-oh. quite happy to hear that. Uh, I think Eric gave a film a five star and you gave it a four. And I'm like, this is the first time in history that Greg has uh, given something a lower rating than one of his co-hosts. Are you saying I'm a little bit too generous with, with my stars, Anderson? <laughs> I think you're just too nice of a person in general to be a critic um, in the sense that like, you're just not mean enough. But, That's true. That's but true. you know what? We live in an age where you can actually seek out only good movies, and I think you do that. I think you can skip some of the stinkers when, you, when you're – you know movies. You've been watching them for 70 years now. So I'll be honest, though. Sometimes when I interview the directors and the actors for certain movies, there might be a little bit of a bias in my rating. I don't know. Anderson, if you were doing what I was doing and interviewing people, do you think you would have – there would be some kind of implicit bias when you watch a movie? It's possible not to. That's a great point, and it's possible not to as a human being, right? You, you're going to have that. But here's the question. Do you see the movie before or after? I see the movie before. Well, then so, that's what you lock in on, and you stick with that, unless they tell you something. That's a good point. Shed some light on on something in the movie that you missed or didn't pick up on, and then that's on you, and then you can maybe elevate the rating. But I, I get a sense that you watch these movies, or two, or three, and then you talk to the filmmakers, and they're really nice and gracious, and you're like, that's you know, like a four or five now. I get that sense. <laughs> well, let's cut that out. Um, no, I'm just kidding. I also get the sense that you're terrified. <laughs> like your, your worst Uh-oh. nightmare is one yes. of these people hearing you talk badly about their film after they gave you their time, and they were gracious with you. So, Greg, I get it. We're all humans, yeah. and you're more empathic than most, and uh, that's why. Do you say F you? No, I said thank you. Thank, thank you. I think would you right there would have been perfect, though. Yeah. By the way, I, I have a movie that, I mean, a series that is right up your alley, and I'm sure you saw this movie uh, or series 
when it was released, but The Bear on Hulu is that a movie a series that you love? I've been hearing a lot about it. I'm just so cautious with shows because it's all flavor of the month stuff. It's like, oh, you got to see this show. Because everyone's in it and they're watching it. And I see if they have legs. And if people are still talking about it, you know, two seasons later, then then I'm in. Here's my pitch to you. A couple months ago, you were on TFV. You were singing the praises of this show, this restaurant show or whatever, this movie. What was that movie that you said? Boiling Point. Boiling, po- Boiling Point. Okay. And who was the lead actor to Boiling Point Star? I forget. But anyways, that's the movie, right? Stephen Graham. Stephen Graham in Boiling Point. And you are you, do you consider do you like movies about the culinary arts a little bit or do you no, just love I don't give a no, I don't I like well made movies though. Because I, like, I, I like uh, Euro I was said Euro Euro Dreams of Sushi was great. Yeah, a well executed movie about the culinary arts. A lot of the time they're like, I'm 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 very upset, Greg, with the opulence and people eating octopus and people, you know, spending this much time and, and energy with the, uh, the the highfalutin smug stuff. So I get mad. So I haven't seen Boiling Point yet, but I'm assuming you loved it so much, and you said you almost got really we got uh, emotional. I think towards the third act, or maybe throughout the movie. The wonder. Okay, it, it's a wonder. Okay, but then so I guess can you say you like the editing because it's a wonder, or that you there's like no the way, editing, Greg? There's no editing. Right. That, that's yeah. just a wonder. You mm-hmm. just like the ener- you like the energy of the film. That's a big. Was that a big draw? I, I like the execution, much like one cut of the uh, dead, as well as uh, the beyond the infinite two minutes. I guess. Yes. The execution of these movies is mind-boggling at times. And I'm assuming, I'm assuming, boiling point, the dialogue was crackerjack for you, very machine gun kind of. You trying to dialogue? get me to watch the bear still? Yeah, no, I'm just saying machine gun dialogue. I'm just saying. Ah, like, there's some good dialogue there. You know, you it's it's one night in a. Am, am I reviewing this movie? No, it's no. One night in a restaurant, and we get a bunch of different uh, takes on things. It all uh, swirls around Stephen Graham's character, who is the the head chef at this restaurant that's kind of struggling. And there's all sorts of subplots and stuff, and it was just really, really well uh, put together. Before we preview the rest of the month and we talk about our favorite movies, et cetera, or the movies that we've recently seen, the reason why you're like the bear, a couple things. Hulu, which you have, it's only eight episodes. Each episode is about 25 to 30 minutes. Okay. Mm. So, and it's set in Chicago. It's set in the sandwich shop mm. and the dialogue is fantastic and the editing is fantastic. So that's my pitch to you. Only eight episodes. You could binge watch it within the middle of an afternoon and it's, look. Oh yeah. Cause watch- I have afternoons free to binge watch, binge watch television shows that aren't for work. Oh, okay. oh, come on. You're going to love it. You're going to love it. Okay. Hey, so the wife buys in, then I'm in. I, next next thing that I want to tackle is Atlanta. That's the next uh, uh, series oh. that I want to tackle. Oh, it's, really? I'm okay. in between Succession and The Boys right now, which are my two favorite shows uh, running currently. Uh, but yeah, well, I'll, I'll see if the wife uh, has any interest in The Bear. I don't think she will, but uh, you're not the first person to tell me that I should watch The Bear. Speaking of you and the wife, huh? I should watch it, how it relates to Boiling Point, other than it's food related. And uh, here's a here's a movie that people love that's food related mm-hmm. uh, that I did not enjoy, and that's The Chef with uh, John Favreau and his little Cuban uh, chef Cub- truck. You don't uh, like the Cubano sandwich? You, you, you didn't appreciate that? And uh... I forget what happened. I think the wheels came off for me in the last act or something. It was just, it was too... Fluffy. It was too like hey, there was not enough conflict there. You prefer uh, the Iron Man stuff or the Mandalorian no. stuff? That he, what? No, I'm just trying to. I don't, you know, I prefer uh, the Gray Man is what I what I can tell you because of all those sweet drone shots. You sons of bitch! <laughs> I heard the last episode. I heard all the shade <laughs> being thrown my way, and I wasn't even there to defend myself. And let me explain myself with these drone shots. That I was uh uh should I be recording that my end on my machine? No, no, you're okay. You can you can record. Greg, I'll send you the recording. Body. We can be live on tape from my garage in Greg's <laughs> home, wherever that might be. But look, 
I really appreciated because, okay, when drones came along, it's like, okay, everyone's doing these crazy long drone shots. What what we used to get were the helicopter shots or beautiful yeah. shots. Uh, uh, you know, and we get them like for a, a second or two, you know, but maybe five, 10 seconds to give you like just a, a unique perspective of a city, like in the dark night or something. But once people got drone shots, they started going wild with them. And then they were cool at first. And then it was just like the same cityscapes. And they will, some movies rely way too heavily on the drone shots. And it's like, all right, I, I get it. You guys hired a drone operator and you have money for that and you're really leaning on that what the russo brothers did with the gray man which is a movie that caught me by surprise because i was prepared to absolutely despise this movie and actually it, it, it was enjoyable for me i actually it went down very smooth uh but the way that they had the drone have you seen that crazy drone shot at the uh bowling alley that was online and went viral no, I did not see that. Oh, it's um, amazing. I mean, people can do crazy things with drones. They got this drone shot that went viral online. Obviously, where's it? It's not going to go viral with VHS tapes being handed on the court. Of course, it's online. And anyways, it starts outside, like high up outside this uh, this bowling alley. And then it goes in, like goes between people's legs. And it's going like in behind where the pins are, Greg. Sure. Perfect precision, Greg. And, and it will come a long way since Birdie, where they had that sky cam that was kind of blew me away because it was like 1987 or whatever. And like there's a movie. shot that follows him and then it goes, remember, goes up in the sky. Also with Lahane, there is a great shot where he actually put it on this little man-made, like handmade. Obviously, it's man-made. What are polar bears going to make? Yes, I'm sorry. I'm a little manic right now because I'm defending myself. But uh, there's a great <laughs> shot in, in Hate, which I absolutely loved, where it goes out this window. And like back then, it was like, oh, my God, that's way too small to be a helicopter. How are they doing that? Now, drone, drone shots are kind of a dime a dozen. However, when they use them like the Russo brothers did in the action sequences and really gave me a good sp- scope and some interesting things, I felt like progress. And that's what I really responded to as far as the drone shots go. What about the performances? What about the screenplay? I what loved the- them. I thought they were great. It's what an action, a fun, dumb, disposable action movie should be. I wasn't bored. I wasn't looking at my clock. And I and I knew who was going to win, but I was still interested to see how, how it was going to. And that, that scene on the street involving the cars, and that was a really well-executed scene. So you guys... Are not giving it its props. Are you? Are you? Are you part Filipino and Thai? Because I'm. I'm seeing my my reflection regarding. Are you, did you give this movie four stars? Four star rating for the Gray Man? Maybe? I'd say four stars for that Gray Man. Now let's not get crazy. It's not going to end up on my top ten at the end of the year. And I can say this: I've already seen a, a movie since uh, Gray Man, uh, the Gray Man on uh, on Netflix, which which had a whole lot more. Okay, RRR. Yeah. So. Oh my God. Cool. I I haven't seen that yet, so it's really good. Crying. Oh, that good. I cry a lot uh, when I'm sad or I have empathy for like small things. Uh, but every now and again, like a song or a movie will be so beautiful and entertaining and, and clever. And it, I was crying. And uh, last time I cried this much while watching a movie that's not sad was uh, Fury Road. Like That's the last time that I cried this much. I, I cried throughout oh. RRR with a giant smile on my face. I love this movie. I was thinking you'd be crying. I'd be crying because I haven't seen it, but it's over three hours, so I don't think I'm going to cry it's, because of I wish it was longer. Really, I, I, I've heard so I, I've heard that said to me so many times in my life, but you know, I'm I'm glad with <laughs> you know. <laughs> so R R R. Okay, so you highly recommend it. Are we saying I, five stars? Five stars. That's a movie a five that you. Star. It's a five star banger, my, Greg. My gosh, my and I am ashamed because it was the Film Vault listenership who that brought it to my attention. Uh, obviously, it's you know huge over in India. It's a I guess it's officially a Bollywood film. Obviously, like it was made over there and a giant budget, and you know, obviously, West Western uh, audiences aren't. It's not being pushed on us, and I'm I'm ashamed that it was the film ball audience that had to actually not. I I love it. I I love the fact that I 
I'm always trying to recommend movies to my audience. And then when they give me one collectively, this is the first time collectively they've ever given me one that were showed up on a list. However, my name showed up on a list last year too. And I never, I never watched that one. So I should probably watch that one. <laughs> yeah, you probably should. Speaking of, I guess those are the movies that you, you've recently seen that you would recommend. Before we get to previewing this month, I would like to ask you, because we haven't caught up in a couple of weeks, how has been the, the whole estate journey? With you were talking about the wife with oh, these antiques. How's that been going? Antiques. What have you learned the last couple of weeks? I know you guys went on vacation, but have you been spending a lot of time on the field looking for some really these? Yeah, we went down to San Diego, and uh, if if I told you that we didn't stop along the way multiple times and and do <laughs> antique shopping while we were out there, uh, I'd be lying because that's what we did. We were out of town for four four nights, and uh, it was great. It was great. It was a nice reset because I came back and I felt like a new man. Now it's starting to wane and i'm starting to feel like the old man that i am again but uh no it was uh, the antique uh vintage it's really uh mid-century modern is what uh what we're after and yeah i got the bug too but jillian's at a 10 and i'm like a six i'm like at a six but yeah thursdays and fridays we uh we hit these estate sales and it's it's like a treasure hunt it's like easter all over again and i absolutely love it and i know what i'm looking for more and more each week that i go jillian is completely obsessed she absolutely she knows more than people who have been doing this for 10 years probably and i i'm not saying that to brag it's just she she's a smart lady and when she gets into something she gets into it but she targets mid-century modern stuff yes. oh okay i, I gotta learn because all i know is art deco so i got a hashtag mid-century modern and see how MCM, yeah what's cool too is a lot of things are cool about it greg but when i'm hopefully this is coming through because there's a little bit of a, a pause there when when i'm watching like uh older movies or or movies that are uh our television that's period pieces like i'm noticing the stuff in the background now you know what i mean very cool very very cool mid mcm mid-century modern okay bodies bodies, bodies greg but oh that, so that's what you've seen lately bodies is, is it really good i mean i know uh andrew martin he said it was very annoying unlikable characters did not jive with him what out what whatsoever but mm. it's gotten a lot of heat how did, did you enjoy bodies 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 uh, I enjoyed parts of Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. It did a lot what uh, Murder Party did, if you remember that jo- uh, Jeremy Sonier's uh, feature yeah. uh, feature debut. Uh, it attacked uh, a certain segment of our population, which is primarily, uh, in this movie, it's almost entirely uh, well-to-do, wealthy Zoomers. And uh, for the most part, I, I liked it. It just didn't go as hard as I would have liked it. I feel like it let them off the hook a little bit. There was more jokes that could have been had, and the jokes that were good weren't great so there's about 30 minutes in it so that's worth your while the rest of it is i don't want to call it filler it just it wasn't great so it's a it's a three three and a half star movie oh okay so it was a almost it was kind of worth your time bodies 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 okay that's i mean i'm trying to think of movies that i've seen recently i i have one movie that you might like it's actually a movie that's actually I've, i'm gonna lump this into movies that you know that we've seen recently and i'm going to lump it into august 19th which we're covering this week there have you heard of this documentary and there's a reason why you're going to be interested in this it's called three minutes a lengthening have you heard about this documentary anderson whatsoever is that a procedure that you were looking into <laughs> i know i know right exactly i definitely need that if i, I want to if, if i want to get a girlfriend by the way here's right. the thing it's a documentary it's Okay, so three minutes of lengthening. It's in theaters August 19th, and it's directed by this historian historian named Bianca Stigter. The documentary is narrated by Helena Bonham Carter. And the documentary comes out, comes that starts in a weird way because there's no narration. It's just three minutes of a short. 
And this short is footage shot by this guy named David Kurtz back in 1938 in a small town in Poland. Oh, yes, yes. I came across this when I read about it. It sounds very depressing, and I don't know it if is. I want to watch it. You're right, because a lot of the a lot of these inhabitants within the, the, that three minute of footage, that is the only video footage you will see from a lot of these people, because well, a lot of them, alive. yeah, a lot of them lost Imagine. their lives. A lot of the a lot of these people were Jewish, and so it's again the documentary is narrated by Helena Bonham Carter, and it looks at the lives within the three minutes of this short, and it's really heavily researched, and it's really well done, and it's only sixty nine minutes. That's the best part, and, and, and Eric would love. <laughs> Eric would love that number. And here's what's interesting for you. Uh, but just by association, association, Bianca Stigger, she does a really good job with this documentary. Her husband is a filmmaker that you really like. His name goes is Steve McQueen. So that is her husband. I dig that, dude. Yeah. You, you love his stuff, right? You love I, I remember my couple, favorite working director. Oh, right. And a couple of years ago, I think the, the small act stuff you really enjoyed. But anyways, this... Um, I'm not saying by default you should watch it, but just by her singularly, on a singular level, this documentary is really worth it, especially from someone like you who's passionate about documentaries. Three minutes a lengthening in theaters August 19th. Sounds sounds very depressing. I don't want to watch these people live their lives before uh, ultimate uh, excruciating tragedy befalls them. Uh, I'm I'm good, Greg. You're good. good. You're good. I'd rather watch Gunda again, I think. Oh my gosh, that that's something else. What on August nineteenth, Anderson? Are you flagging for this nope. week? Watch this, Greg. I'm gonna throw a curveball at you. Uh oh. We oh, no. are going to figure out what our next year is. Oh, months. okay. Yeah, yeah, for Patreon, this yeah. month for Patreon, we're doing 1966, which uh, turned out to be a pretty fruitful uh, year. We got seconds. I'll be doing seconds, and uh, Greg is doing Django, and we'll both be doing them together. I should say. Uh, the, but 1966 had a, had a bunch of movies that uh, I was trying to figure out which was the best to bring to the audience and shed some light. Just as a reminder, if you're listening to this, uh, what we do is we go back in time and we celebrate uh, the year in film uh, from whatever year we we land on in between 1940 and 1989. Uh, which is kind of a dark spot for me anyways. So it's a good research project we've been doing for the last couple of years now. And we're up to number 42. Wow. 40, yeah, 42. This, wow. is, this this month is 41. Next month will be the 42nd bonus year that we've done. And uh, right now I'm going to figure out what year that will be. And it's telling me it landed on 49, which we've already done, Greg. I'll Ooh, tell you. I'll give you a, a little, uh, oh, because you love your 40s. Uh, the 40s and yeah. 50s. Here's what we did in 1949. The heiress. Oh, the heiress. Yes. William Wyler's The Heiress. And then White Heat, which I had never that. seen. Shamefully. Yeah. Shamefully. I've never seen that White Heat. And so top we, of the world. Top of the world, Mom. All right. Uh, we're going to go. To, we've already done 1944 as well. I'll tell oh. you what we did in 44. The Hairy Ape. Hell to the S. And uh, The Miracle of Morgan's Creek, which was uh, less hell to the S, but there was something there. I love that movie. How dare you, Anderson? That's All right. Classic. We landed. We landed on one that we have not done yet, Greg. Okay. And that year is 1977. Oh, wow. Okay. 1977. So it's up to you and I to figure out what movies will be watched by us for the year 1977. I also will uh, do the research and bring you people that were born in 1977 that uh, are names that you might be familiar with in uh, the film world, as well as... Uh, the uh, the top box office and uh, what happened at the Academy of, from the Academy Awards for the films that came out that year. So it's it's a nice little celebration of the year, like we said. In 1977, Greg, you were like 25, 30. So you probably <laughs> exactly. saw some, a bunch of good stuff in the theaters, right? Exactly. I was yeah, I was 30. I was 30. I'm getting so old, man. It's ridiculous. 
I can't believe when once you turn fifty, Anderson, your your life goes will go downhill. AARP. Dude, I'm on the precipice, and yeah. I'm, just, I'm dreading it. I'm I'm having a lot of existential moments. Believe me, especially going into these old houses and, and these details. <laughs> I'm like, this is my life in like twenty years. I'm just gonna all my collections, everything that I hold dear is just gonna be out on a table for strangers to pick through because I'm dead and gone. It's it's terrifying. It is ter- terrifying. I hope 1977. I hope that's the year for Sorcerer because I don't think you have seen the oh, William- Sorcerer. Oh, you've seen oh, yeah. okay. I caught up with it recently. Like after I, this is so shameful, Greg. I'm such a philistine. You know what pushed me? Over, and I still haven't seen uh, Fear. Wages of, the Wages, Wages of, fear. of Fear. Yeah, yeah. Which was the original, original. But uh, then Friedkin did uh, Sorcerer, which was just an incredible piece of filmmaking. My yes. God, is that a great movie? But what pushed me over the edge? Uh, Mandalorian. Oh, really? There Mandalorian. Was an episode, kind of a standalone with Bill Burr, and it was based on the same premise. Oh wow! Did that Bill Burr episode work for you because it was oh, Bill yeah. Burr? Okay. Well, despite the fact that it was Bill Burr, he's very good in it. But I am so familiar with Bill Burr, I can never uh, separate him from the character. So I just see Bill Burr acting well. But I don't. I don't. Never. He. It's impossible, and it's nothing against his acting. I don't think that he could ever melt into a, or disappear into a character. Even like if he did something to the level of Jared Leto in uh, The Gooch. I, I, I still think that I would just see Bill Burr because I listen to him like two hours a week almost. So, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Two okay, so, so that is our Patreon. Check us out our Patreon again. Yeah, check us out this month because because I'm covering – I mean Anderson's covering seconds and John Frankenheimer. And I'm, I'm covering this movie called Django, which you might think Django Unchained. But I really want to spotlight the works of director Sergio Corbucci. I'm assuming Anderson has seen both movies already, and I'm going to probably wait till The Wire. I've already seen Seconds. Seconds, by the way, is a very important part of my life. You didn't know this, actually, Anderson. I, was, I should have surprised you next week when you started recording. Yeah, the surprise is gone, Greg. Thanks Sorry, for I, I apologize for that. Hey, two more movies that I've seen since the last time I saw you, Gregor. And uh, I don't think I saw Nope, but I don't I don't have anything more to say about Nope that I've, I haven't already said. And it, people are being very upset with my take on Nope, which is not not a great take. <laughs> Why? 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 A lot of people don't like that movie, Anderson. To your defense, okay. Just, I do. I you know, there's some great filmmaking in there, but the whole premise is just like okay. Uh, Bullet Train let me down quite a bit. I like The Gray Man more than Bullet Train, which is shocking to me. And uh, Brian and Charles. Greg, uh, yes, watching me by Mitch Burns. Uh, this last I, I checked is only available for purchase for 20 bucks online right now, which is you know, I don't expect anyone to do that. But once Brian and Charles put this little, little nugget and you write it down, if you yeah, maybe, have, maybe have an ongoing list like I do on my phone, Brian and Charles is about a, a guy who lives out in Wales and he's lives on a little farm, a little shack, and he's an inventor and he's a sad little loner man and he invents things that aren't very good. And then out of the uh, the blue, he invents a robot. Robot doesn't work at first, and then Charles does end up working. Charles is the name of the robot, and the stuff between Brian, his creator, and Charles, the robot, is precious. It is some of the funniest back and forth, and Charles himself is so, so well executed. It's based on a a short that the two of these uh, comedians and writers did uh, years prior, and uh, Charles Petrescu is will forever ever have uh, a spot in my heart and i will uh, it's one of those movies that you're, you're a little bit changed or at least i was i showed it to my family who was in town after i watched it and I ended up watching all of this stuff with charles which is about half the movie uh three times you didn't think it was gimmicky oh you saw it yeah yeah oh uh gimmicky is the wrong word it was silly and didn't ask for permission to do things that made no sense which i was fine with i you know like those uh those horrible sonic 
ads. I think they have. I think they're national. They're but, wonderful Sonic ads. What do you mean? With those two comedians, I think <laughs> apparently they're funny guys. But like on the Sonic ads, I just you don't think. Okay, got it. Yeah, can't tell you how many heavy objects I've picked up and, and thought about <laughs> throwing towards my TV whenever those guys come. Right, on. right. Uh, it's it's like that, but good. <laughs> and I gimmicky, I don't think is the right word, but I know what you're saying. Uh, it is a one trick pony, as in it. On, the rest of the movie is two star. But the Charles stuff is five star. It's a really bizarre movie in that sense. So it's a four star film for you, ultimately, right? Am I assuming this? It's a four yeah, star. That's why it's hard to like rate movies, like you know, because there are going to be things that are just work so well for a viewer, uh, but other things that just don't. The rest of the movie was kind of mailed in. I felt like it wasn't. I was twenty minutes into this. This Brian and Charles. I was like, this is a mockumentary. I don't dig mockumentaries, uh, and I'm like, I, I don't know if I can get through this. And I felt bad because Mitch sent me a file and he wanted me to watch it and. And then Charles shows up and it just starts to sing. And I, I mean, did you, did Charles tickle your fancy, Greg? I did like it. I did like it. And that, one of the reasons why I did like it is Anderson listeners on, if you haven't already on our June 24th episode of cinematics, because I do, I, I do so many of these bleep in interviews. Bleep you can it. listen, you can listen to my interview with Brian and Charles act uh, writers and actors. Brian. Jim Archer and Peter Mahendi. It's just a very little, small interview on our Cinematics podcast feed. I, I interview so many people. So, anyways, That's awesome. yeah, he, I like uh, it. Does he do any of the uh, the Charles voices for you? Oh, are you like well, I'm Charles Petrescu or something. Like, no, I, mean, I don't I, think that, I don't. That do wasn't that. actually his voice, though, was it? I, I think they used a computer to make his voice. I think they. So he just wrote it and probably acted it because it's clearly a man in the robot's body. It's it's uh, akin to uh, Frank from uh, Michael Fassbender. So yeah. Br- Brian's a lonely guy, right? Brian is the guy with the beard. He's lonely. Yeah. Brian, okay. Brian, Brian, <laughs> plant pot, plant pot. So uh, I, I was, I was interviewing that guy and I, and I, and he was talking about how he relates to the film. He says, because, because, you know, I, we don't want to talk about the ending, but it's also about the bond and you don't want to separate from, you know, Brian and Charles, you want them to be together. But then he said he relates to the story because his own son's growing up off to college, doesn't want to have anything to do with the parents, and he feels like overprotective over his son as well. So that's actually Brian and Charles. It seems like here's a, what that robot and a dude, but it's really the story about, in many ways, like just the family. You know, you don't yeah. want to let go of the people that you love. It was so, very on the nose about like a a, a very fast, quick uh, uh, a cycle of raising a child from beginning to you know young adulthood and i mean that everything about this movie was very on the nose that's one of the things that made it so beautiful when the charles stuff actually worked when everything else was kind of like very meh for me it was very paint by numbers but but you will say wait to wait for streaming anderson right when it gets I, yeah and I, twenty dollars a lot of like i i know that there's people out there that host movie parties uh each week and uh if if you are one of these people and you're up uh like watch the trailer and see if it does anything for you and uh, you know, shine some light to your fellow movie friends, lovers. Uh, if they, if you're hosting, but people do that when when movies cost twenty bucks to see them at home, and they'll have like you know ten people over, and you watch the movie, and you have a little viewing party, like a book club almost. I I've heard from people who do this, and it, it'd be worth it there, I think, but not just to sit unless you're you know made of money. Speaking of which, Anderson, we're, we're, you and I are not made of money, but if you had a little bit of bucks, would you spend some money this Friday to watch Orphan First Kill? Were no. you a fan? No, no, no come on. Would you, I've been told to f- see Orphan, but I have not seen Orphan, so I have no reference. I, I, I don't. Uh, How have you not seen Orphan? That's an amazing uh, film. Peter I never Christ. actually sat down in front of the TV with it on so that, or went to the theater. <laughs> That's how. So you're not excited. Isabel Furman, 
uh, Rossif Sutherland, Julia Stiles. You have no reference. You guys may, may not even cover it on TFE. Has anyone of the community guys no. said Anderson? No. All right. Well, I, it's my own fault. I've heard Orphan's great. I've heard it's great. I'm just not a horror guy, Gregor. Oh, yeah? Well, I mean, I was thinking because of Dario Argento and all that stuff with Suspiria a couple months ago, a month and a half ago, maybe I, you might have did- educated myself and it didn't get me thinking anything different. <laughs> okay, you know, who knows? Maybe you know what? How about this? Film Vault or uh, Cinematics or After Disaster fans for 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 Christmas? Why don't you get Anderson a year a year uh, subscription to to Shutter? What, what, would you watch more more horror Shutter's films? Been sending me uh, all sorts of uh, links. See, links. there you go. You should start I watching some. And then I look at the information, and then I close them. <laughs> oh jeez. Okay, <laughs> we got to get we got to get you on Shutter. But anyways, Orphan First Kill. Look, it's a prequel to the the events in Orphan. It hits theaters, digital and streaming, August 19th. What happens is you, you see her in sort of a psychiatric hospital. She escapes, and she's somewhere in – I forgot where where she is. Somewhere in the U.S., though, and she takes on the uh, – Connecticut. Like Imposter, that movie Imposter, which was a great documentary, and then when they did the feature, it wasn't so – Right, they did the feature later. But it's like he – there's a missing – person missing kid and right. she takes on that identity and pretends to be that missing kid exactly so she goes from a stone she escapes this hospital psychiatric psychiatric hospital in estonia and then she eventually gets picked up by this really wonderful rich family in connecticut why are and they she, wonderful because they're rich yeah i mean no, no they're just they're connecticut people from connecticut i guess are you know i'm just saying i'm just saying we have, they have some money and they're they seem nice julia style yeah, she's very get nice. out takes place Oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. But anyways, there's a really interesting twist in Orphan First Kill. It's worth a watch. It's been getting a lot of mixed reviews, but I really like the performances of Julia Stiles and Isabel Furman. And if you're a fan of Orphan, a lot of people who are fans of Orphan did not like the prequel. A lot of the critics did, but I ended up really enjoying this. This is actually a very fun movie. This is a four and a half out of five for me. Unfortunately, our buddies Bruce and Eric both did not like this movie too much. It is, uh, so we'll see what happens. They're not going to give it a good review, but I really, really loved it. Only 99, 99 minutes. Yes, sir. Is this the uh, last movie you've seen since doing this show? Yes, unfortunately. Probably, yeah. So it's your favorite. This is your favorite yeah, film. It's my favorite film. So that that is my my top pick for this week is Orphan First Kill. So Well, I mean you've seen it, so I've seen it. Yeah. yeah. I haven't I, so that's anything else from August nineteenth, Anderson, that you are are going to see. Oh yeah. I got a couple. Yeah, let's hear I got it. a couple. Uh The Beast. How can you not have the Beast on your uh, list there? Not since Cujo. Right, in a movie kind of based around a, uh, a an animal uh, on maybe perhaps a rabbit animal on on the uh, the the loose trying to kill humans, and it's like essentially it's Idris Elba's character and his family, right? They're they're trapped out there, and yeah, they're going, they're on like safari. Essentially, they're in Africa. Like taking he's taking his family back to see the you know the roots and and where you know their family come comes from and. And uh, while on on safari, they they come across a a rabid rabid or I don't know, I don't know if it's rabid a, a, a very vicious Cujo like uh, lion that's trying to to kill them. Now there have been other movies that have been based around this, I guess, but I haven't seen them nor cared. But I love my Idris, and I'm very curious. Uh, and and it also stars Shalto Cop- Shalto Copley, your guy I from uh, Chappie. I always mess it up. Shalto Copley. Copley. Yeah, yeah. Was, I just call him Chappie. Chappy, yeah. See, so you're happy, right? You're gonna, you're gonna probably. Are you gonna possibly? I already got my ticket. This? I will be seeing this for sure. Yeah. Okay. And it's hard not to think Cujo when when watching the trailer because of all the stuff that happens in and around the car, which was uh, mostly uh, the the case with Cujo. Right. Cujo doesn't get enough play. 
Cujo doesn't get enough love. People don't bring up Cujo anymore. I still haven't seen that movie. I still haven't seen Cujo. And it keeps starring uh, Keith Gordon. Yeah, I know. It's one. Can I tell you this? A lot of rabid animals, uh, wild rabid animals killing humans in RRR. But the whole movie is not based around that is what I'm saying. See what I'm saying? Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, uh, Cujo. I, don't, I forgot who directed that. Was that a John Carpenter film? But anyways, I should like, look no. up Cujo. D. Walt Stone's in it, I believe, in that as well. But any Okay, so that's. I think that's it for August 19th. I don't know why you keep trying to, to just... Like, what? Louis uh, Teague directed. Uh, oh, Louis Joe? Teague. Louis Teague. I never even heard of him. Never even heard of Louis Teague. I don't think there's anything. He directed else. The Jewel of the Nile, Gregor. Really? I should look. Alligator. Up. I forgot Alligator existed. <laughs> 1980s Alligator. Oh, my goodness. Alligator. <laughs> August 19th. There's. Oh, my Greg, goodness. There's, there's one a, more. There's one more, Greg. There's one more that you're missing, Anderson. And unfortunately, this is one of these movies that because you do not have time. Are you this is one of these August movies, 19th? Yes. You will not be able to see this movie. And unfortunately, it will be a movie I think you might even love. Mm. And it, it's this movie called Squeal. Our buddy mm. Eric Holmes did an interview with this director. He's a Latvian filmmaker. And it centers on this guy, this, I guess an American guy. He comes out and he's uh, over, like I'm assuming in Latvia, and he's trying to find his dad missing father and he sees at at the end of the evening he's in the middle of force in a car and he sees a woman she's stranded he's thinking he's going to help her and what happens is the woman this beautiful young woman she brings him to her i guess cabin out in the woods or it's like a little bit of a farm and she takes him hostage and what happens is it becomes an absolute nightmare the, the movie is called squeal so he's chained up basically naked along with a bunch of pigs for most of the film and it's about how she the woman and her father basically try to domesticate him as a pig and he ends up being a a laborer for them in the farm so it's called squeal it seems like it's right up your alley and 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 it's beautifully shot too it's very very good it's called squeal it's going to be right up your alley in fact you know what i'm gonna make sure that you um Yes. Can I please get a link for Squeal? Because I want to make Squeal a thing. <laughs> it's it's fantastic, man. Um, I, I, and this is this is not a lark. This is a movie that I think will will uh, appeal to your senses. Our buddies Bruce and Eric both really really love this film, probably even more than me. And I loved it. So, and unfortunately, a lot of people won't see it. Oh, you know what? I'm glad if you get to see it, you can uh, spread the word if you like it because it's going to be also be on demand on Friday. So I'll make sure you um, you get that link. Okay, it's Squeal. not showing up on IMDb. And That's why. That's why it's not, it's not showing. But it's it's a great it's, film. It's a real movie. Is this like a no no, no, no. YouTube? I, this is endeavor? fantastic. Look, the the director, this Latvian oh, filmmaker, Samuel's Travels, is what you got to look. It. At. Yes, that's it. Yes, that's that's it. Samuel's Travels. It's it is a work of art and it's fantastic. Um, <laughs> I think I think it's it a very like a good version of uh, Tusk mixed with Pig. I think at the very least, I think you're going to give this movie four stars. I'm going to I'm going to be, go on the limb and say this is at least a four star film for you. Okay, so we're going to work on getting you squeal, and I would love to hear what you think of it down the road when you uh, record next week. So that's it. That's it for August 19th. Anderson, oh, anything else? Greg, no, it's no. Not. There's one more. One more, and this is uh, I heard Eric last uh, time you guys got together earlier this month talking about a one of the movies he was covering. I can't recall the name, but he. He used uh, Cube as a as a uh, right. parallel, and this nice. movie, The Immaculate Room, as far as limited storytelling and uh, a bottle film, as they, as they like to say, uh, as far as one location goes, The Immaculate Room is another one of these movies that uh, seems interesting, at least on the surface. It stars Emil Hirsch and Kate Bosworth, and they are uh, 
um, a young couple, and uh, they are after a five million dollar prize, which is like a, I guess it's like a modern day reality show. What they have to do is isolate themselves in an empty room for fifty days, no phones, no family, only the room, trying to break the resolve. And uh, it's getting not well rated on the old IMDb at the moment, but it's you know very early. There's only fifty nine ratings, and it's got a five six. Uh, but the guy that directed it is Makunda Michael. Duil, he wrote it yes. and directed it, known for uh, Vehicle 19 more than anything else. He also has three movies being released this calendar year, as far as IMDb is concerned, which is odd because he hasn't made anything since 2013. So I don't know if these movies were all made during COVID or just before COVID and are stacking up. But I can answer that question for you. The Immaculate Room was made before COVID. And then his other movie, which was released, I believe, last week called Collide, which I interviewed him for, was released um, was shot after the Immaculate Room. So this is was shot maybe two, two and a half years ago. And it, what's interesting for the interview is he has a really interesting, and I, I'd like to ask you about this. He said the, the way he actually writes screenplays is he doesn't, he writes fast. He doesn't really censor himself. He just goes for it and he doesn't really do a lot of self-analysis. He just likes to get the words on the page and the situations on the page. Well, he writes quickly and then edits, obviously. Do you, do you agree with that kind of aesthetic yeah, I, work? Thank God you followed it up with and then edits and you know rewrites. Because yeah, every single first draft that I've ever written is like breakneck speed. That's why one of the reasons why I do it. Because I'm not a great typer, so handwriting, I write pen to paper and yeah, I just it it goes very fast. Because I, I see it with the way that I write is like I see these things happening, kind of like I'm watching the movie in my head and I'm writing it down. And then I go back and, and then that's when the real work, the, the real work writing is rewriting, Greg. But yeah, it, it just kind of pours out while if you have an idea and you have an idea who the characters are. Do you see some, I mean, fellow writers or fellow filmmakers, have you come across other people who probably overthink themselves too much before putting that like pen to page or start I mean, typing? I think you bring up a great point. Yeah, this is a great piece of advice for anyone who's listening who wants to write is absolutely just to don't uh, encumber yourself with any kind of parameters or think about budget too much uh, or just what you got to do is meditate on the idea. I would say for a few weeks, at least make sure it's worth writing and figure out who the main characters are. Maybe take some notes on the characters themselves and flesh them out in your head. So you know who they are, you know how they would react or might be based on people you actually know might be based on parts of yourself. And then when you, actually start writing the story what's fun too the way that i do it anyways is a lot of time i don't know how it's going to end and it's it's this weird and i don't want to sound douchey but it's sometimes it's almost like somebody else is telling the story and i don't even know where it's going to go until i get there and it's and that's that's if you fall into that it's it's a great motivator to get you to because half the battle and they cover that in that book that i always recommend the uh the war of art the war of art is a great handbook to have at least the first two sections the last section I don't really respond to, but uh, the first two sections of the war art talks about how the, most of the work is just sitting down and doing the work and not being afraid to do the work. And there's a thousand excuses why not to sit down and write every day. But if you get in the groove and you don't know how it's going to end and you kind of feel like your hand is telling you, like you're, if you're writing with, with a pen and paper like I do, I, I'm like, I have to get back to it because I'm so curious as to what's going to happen with these characters. I really don't know until it happens. And then obviously you can change things and, you know, slim it down and flesh out characters better and uh, punch up the dialogue, all that stuff and, and consequent rewrites. But yeah, for sure. You got to write fast the first time. Yeah. You can't just sit there and like hang on every because, you know, it's all going to be rewritten. And I think that most of the scripts that I've written, you know, I've only produced the one so far, but I'd say a good, you know, 50 percent of the pages are completely different 50% of the script gets changed like 50% of the words that I write get erased and rewritten or just erased for good you write the entire first draft on paper and pen or yeah. pencil okay and then the second draft is transferring it from my chicken scrawl 
to uh, Final Draft, which I, I edit along the way and I you know throw lines out or I punch things up. And then that's the second draft. And then like right now I'm on fifth, uh, draft 15 for uh, for uh, Ben or a movie for Vengeance, my next movie that I'll be making. It's, it's on draft 15 and there'll probably be another two, three drafts before I actually. And you're cool with that, right? It's, that's that's like you said, it's all about rewriting, which you're fine. You're fine with. Yeah, I'm, I'm cool with it. Totally. If, if I'm doing it for a purpose, if I'm doing it just because I feel like it's not good enough, then that's that's all different thing. Like right now, I'm rewriting it because the mentally challenged adults that I I wrote into it uh, were based on people, like actual like friends and and people that I worked with, uh, mentally challenged adults that I knew from my own life, and that was like distant memories. But now I've, when working with this acting class, I've met a ton more the, the actors that I want to actually cast in the role. So I'm writing the roles rewriting the role specific for the people that I want to cast in it. And the story's better now. Oh, yeah. It could be more honest, I think, and less filthy because I had a lot of filth in there because there was no actual connection to those guys anymore. So I had like masturbation scenes and stuff. I don't need that. That doesn't need to be in there. Were you basing those characters on me? <laughs> no, actual actors <laughs> no, that I actually saw. <laughs> I, I mean, I, right, yeah, I worked yeah. at a dorm type uh, uh, environment where like I lived with these guys for like two, three days at a time. So I saw all sorts of stuff, Greg. Yeah, but that's not going to be in there. You, you, but and, you know, when you wrote that, that's based on memory, and then you were younger, and now you're older, you're wiser, and then not, now you're you're actually really engaged. It's going to be really, you know, I should definitely read read it again. See, see how it, so it's richer probably now. Thanks, Greg. Yeah, you because you read it way back when, and like, yeah, it, it didn't occur to me when I wrote the first draft that like, you know, this is going to be representing mentally challenged adults or IDD community. To if we're lucky and we get enough eyeballs on the on this movie, to a whole you know segment of our population that has very very little. Uh, a contact with them other than, you know, maybe going to public school and seeing them in special ed. And I don't need to be shining them in any kind of, even if it's just for a laugh or something, negative light. But I did walk in on a guy who was in full Santa gear and he's in his dorm room. In yeah, his, his room where he lived when I was the uh, the counselor there. The the um, I can't even remember what they called me, but uh, yeah, I'm like Bill. What are you doing? <laughs> He's like, it's Christmas. I'm like, it's not Christmas. It's July, and I'm sorry I walked in on you. And I you know I wrote something similar to that in the script. That doesn't need to be in there. Get that out of there. You know what I mean? Good. Can't wait to can't wait to read it. And uh, 15 drafts. So that is really some really good uh, insight on writing. This was a nice little detour, but yes, that is the immaculate the immaculate room by uh, like you said, directed by Makunda Michael Dewill. So we will be in. He also wrote it. So I think that's really analysis. Like they say, it's paralysis. I should know. That's probably why I'm not a writer. And Anderson is another person who does okay. who, who does like to write like Anderson as far as pen to pad is this uh, really wonderful artist named Emma Thompson. She says she can't do it without type. She can't type. She can't uh, put it in the computer. She has to write pen to pad first. That's It really oh, gets good. her going. I like yeah. that. FYI. So there you go. So August 19th, we're done with August 19th. Yes. I know what your pick for August 26th. I'm going to make you, make, give, get you in a very bad, sad mood because I know what's going to be your top pick for August 26th. And I want to hear it right now. And I'm going to go on. Pick? I know what your top pick is for August 20th. You, you, you don't. You don't, Greg. I, I know uh -oh. where you go, but you're wrong. Uh, I'm wrong. Yeah, you mentioned Fury Road. You mentioned Idris Elba. This is just a, this is this is a, to close our episode. This all roads lead through George Miller. Am I correct on this? Fury Road is one of the best movies I've seen in the last ten years, without a doubt. Maybe one of the, it, it's without a doubt one of the greatest action movies I've ever seen. And there's that scene early on where Mad Max himself, played by Tom Hardy, um, is standing there looking at. He just pulled up in his in his in his hot rod, and he gets out and a two headed lizard obviously cgi comes towards him and without looking he stomps on it with his heel and then i believe he eats it uh and that was george miller saying f you cgi i'm not going to use you for this one i'm going to actually put actors lives in peril uh and 
that's what we saw for the next two hours in Fury Road. Here, 3,000 years of longing, George Miller is taking a completely different approach and uh, toiling uh, with CGI. Not to say that he's never done that before. I mean, going back to Babe, I, you know, they had to use some CGI. But sure. 3,000 years of longing, there's there's no restraints as far as I can tell. Anything that George Miller came up with is <laughs> they're capable of putting it on the screen before us. And I, the trailer does nothing for me. If it, if this was not George Miller, I would not give this the time of day. Uh, uh, but I'm very, I don't want to say very concerned. How can you be very concerned about, you know, two hours of entertainment that might not entertain you? But you know what I mean? Uh, I, I'm not, I'm not pumped about this movie. 3,000 years of longing. George Miller is a director, like you said, and the screenwriter behind this. And look, well, we're not going to get to the plot too much. It's basically a doctor. She's in Istanbul for some kind of conference, played by Tilda Swinton. She uh, goes to some kind of the bazaar and she gets a, a lamp. There's a djinn or a genie in the lamp. That's Idris Elba. And he's it's basically a lot of it. A portion of it is sort of a two-hander with him in the hotel room. And the doctor is trying to tell the genie why she doesn't want to do the wishes. And so how, how does he convince her? How does the djinn or the genie convince this doctor to use these wishes? And... What happens is a lot of the movie is told in flashback and it, and you look at the lives, the different stories of the genie throughout his life. Here's a problem. The good thing is George Miller, Tilda Swinton, Idris Elba. Problem is the stories that he recounts, they're boring. Mm. I, I watched it. I watched it. And I, I came out of that movie thinking this is a three-star film. Okay. Because of George Miller, because I liked, it looks pretty. This movie is a total bore for me. And I, I feel very bad. And you know, this is how bad it is. I'm giving 3,000 years of longing. I could probably wait another six, six to 9,000 years before I see this movie again. This You'll is be a dead. Two, Yeah, I know. This is a two-star film for me. Two stars for oh. 3,000 years of longing. They have no chemistry, by the way, Tilda Swinton and Idris Elba. I, it feels like they were, it, the material doesn't seem inspired. It just feels by the numbers, even with all its top production design and the, the top line talent. It just, it is a forgettable film. Mm. You might end up liking it when you watch it, but a month later, it's forgettable. There's a lot it, of movies, a lot of, a lot of movies are in one eye out the other. A lot of the Marvel movies are like that for me. In one, yeah. you know, as, as, as good as they are considering they don't have to be that good. Uh, they're usually better than than I would expect them than than they need to be. I think, but still, I don't remember. I don't remember what Spider Man did last, and I, you know, I have no idea. Uh, so I'm sorry to hear that you didn't get the uh, the interview with George Miller. That's a bummer. <laughs> How dare you? That was a really good. That was a really good. That was a great rebut. I like that. I really. <laughs> yeah, they, they they never accepted me on this. Yeah. So, but and uh, I I wonder. You know, it's not like because because the Fury Road, the Mad Max. Uh, franchise makes buku bucks right it makes a lot of money so this it's not like he's doing this one for the studio if anything this might be like a personal project of his which is kind of strange yeah it's a personal project and i i still it just and i credit him with a vision and the passion but it just doesn't does not translate to the screen anderson unfortunately well, he also did happy feet which i still haven't seen but you know he's yeah. he's, he's like three or four men in one he really is i, I can't yeah. believe this guy's still doing what he's doing so that's it that i mean that's the only there's are there any other ones for oh, for are you talking about john boyega i mean 
Yeah, 892. You got to give John Boyega a shot, right? Uh, directed by 892. No, break, Breaking. Uh, breaking. Original yes. title is break, uh, 892, which I think is probably better, but Breaking is the new one. And uh, it's about a Marine uh, war vet who uh, faces mental and emotional challenges. Uh, and he tries to uh, reintegrate back into civilian life. And uh sounds kind of like a bore. I don't know Abby Damaris Corbin. Uh, as right. A, uh, however, I do know John Boyega as an actor and my God, we brought up small acts, uh, Steve McQueen's small acts earlier in the episode. And I liked John Boyega before, but I, I, I love him now. Uh, my favorite small acts was the one that he was in um, black and blue. I think it's called. Yeah. I mean, I remember Bruce was saying when he reviewed Detroit and he was saying, well, after watching John Boyega in Detroit, it just, it's obvious to him. Boyega is just a straight up leading man. Do you agree as far as just this is a guy that you put in your movie as, as a lead? Oh yeah, he's definitely a leading man. And he's just he just chews the scenery as you like to say. And he just he's got such range. And I don't think we've seen, you know, what this guy's actually he's got a lot of movies on the docket and a lot of movies coming out. I think he's a huge star just on the precipice. And it's funny because as Finn, he was such a background character, and that's where he how he came on this on the scene. But you would think that Star Wars would be his big coming out party. And I guess to some extent it was, but I feel like we have not seen half of what Boyega Boyega has to has to offer. And I'm hoping that eight nine two or breaking as as they call it now. Um, is uh, we'll, we'll showcase some more of his talent. It's red, white, and blue was the uh, small axe. It's very confusing because co- small axe is considered a TV miniseries, but they're five essentially feature length films. Some of them are like two hours plus, uh, directed by Steve McQueen back in 2020. And small axe as a whole, all five of them as a whole, because they all shared similar themes, uh, about racism, uh, in, in England. Uh, all five of them collectively will it was my favorite movie of that year kind of by wow. far away. and red white and blue is the one with uh boyega where he it's based on reality too he, he plays a, a a kid a young man who's uh, got a real promising career as a scientist and uh, he lives in uh, i think it's Notting hill back in the 60s and he just sees all the police brutality and racism going on so much to his father's dismay he decides to give up his promising career uh, as a white collar, uh, like a professional with 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 science, uh, to g- join the police force and try to make a difference from within, and that's the story of Red, White, and Blue from the Small Axe miniseries, and it's it really showcases John Boyega's uh, ability. God, he's good. Oh, that's amazing. And also, the warning for breaking is if you do are excited by this movie, it is based on a true story. So if you Google the character, the people, and whatnot, you'll see what happens so if you don't want to see what happens don't google the true story behind breaking it's it's a real life incident but well, i'm very excited to see what john boyega does for this movie i i i just got a screening link and i'm sure anderson will be getting a link as well very shortly and he can tell you guys what he thinks of breaking tight yeah. right uh before we wrap up i have two more yes, sir. oh you got it of course this one is probably no without a doubt of the movies that we're discussing today the one that i've got the highest hopes for and i remember the the younger brother in the squid and the whale frank who does naughty things to books and right yes yes reminded me of my youth of course well (laughs) (laughs) that's uh, played by owen klein who yeah i thought was phenomenal in that movie and i always wondered like what happened to Owen Klein? He was in only a handful of other things after the squid and the whale. Um, and turns out 
uh he is a writer and a director and he's got his feature debut coming up are you familiar with this have you seen this do you know what i'm talking about when i say funny pages the, yes, I do. There have been. I'm one, look. I'm one of those people, Anderson. You're gonna hate this. I I've been getting all these screen. I'm sure you have too. I've been getting all these screening invites, but I just don't. Like, look with COVID and everything. I'm I'm just so spoiled. I'd rather just get the screening oh, links. Screening just, links. Like oh, I see. So the screening links keep you at home rather than uh, in the olden days. And some movies horrible. are still like this is an A24 movie where they're demanding that you get out of your bed and be a human being. Be yeah. human being, get in the car and then drive to a theater where they'll let your little uh, critic ass in, right? <laughs> yeah, if I can't see it on my iPod, then then you're not getting a review not or watch things on your iPod, Greg. <laughs> but Funny Pages, back to Funny Pages. Funny Pages is a coming of age story about uh, a young, you know, young adult who's wants to be a cartoon artist, and he meets uh, a, a man who is a cartoon artist, uh, and he played by Matthew Mayer. Uh, who you recognize his face if you saw him. And uh, it's a period piece. It looks like it takes place in the 90s. This movie feels, I watched the trailer, it feels like a, a independent movie from the 90s because independent movies are hard to identify these days, especially in trailers, other than the fact they don't have talent that you recognize, but they're so yeah. slick. Every movie is so slick because of technology. This movie's got an edge to it. It feels like a, like, a, like a Kevin Smith movie almost as far as the look. Or maybe more akin to, uh, uh, I don't know. I, that's fine. 90s, a, a 90s. Uh, I'm drawing a blank on, on what's his name? Boyhood. What the hell? Oh, yeah. Richard Linklater. Yeah, Linklater. Yeah. It feels like, a, like an early Linklater movie, perhaps. Yeah. And I draw a blank on Richard Linklater. But this movie <laughs> has uh, a lot going for it, as far as I can tell with the trailer. And it's crazy that Owen Klein, the kid, Frank, the kid from uh, one of my favorite movies of the last 20 years, Squid and the Whale. Wow. The writer, director of it. So it's it's getting uh, good reviews from what I can see, and it's uh, supposed to really lean on its dark comedy, which you know I'm a fan of, Greg. I, I like that dark comedy. I don't know if you know that about me. Yeah, of course, of course. Are you, wait, are you a no? Oh, it looks like a Todd Salons movie a little bit, perhaps, but not quite as dark. Because of what you just said about The Squid and the Whale, it's one of your favorite movies from the last 20 years. Do, obviously, you like Noah Baumbach over Wes Anderson, but do you oh really? Oh, my God. But what? do you... But do you really like him? Meaning, <laughs> if it's Marriage Story or you know his movies, do you like his films? Obviously, his favorite, my favorite of his is De Palma, the documentary. But do you like Noah Baumbach as a filmmaker because of the Squid and the Whale and yeah, along I mean, with I've his other stuff? I've seen everything he's done, uh, going back to Kicking and Screaming. Well, not the Will Ferrell movie, but he his first, yeah. his debut film was called Kicking and Screaming. And yeah, I uh, got the Squid and the Whale's coming up on his twentieth year. Is that an outlier for you? Is what, what I mean is is that an outlier among Noah's work? Meaning the Squid and the Whale. Yeah, because yeah, you, it's by far okay. and away my it's it's the fillet of his of his okay. of, of his canon. <laughs> okay, Greg, give me the fillet. Come on, it's a line from the Squid and the Whale. It's a fillet. Uh, oh, it's, very you know, good. I okay, still, I, I still throw that back and forth with certain friends of mine, like <laughs> Mickey and I. Uh, yeah, we always say the fillet. Like he tells me that the Groupers is the fillet of my my feature films. I'm like Mickey, it's the only movie I've made, so of course it's the fillet. <laughs> Remember that. <laughs> okay, I gotta I gotta rewatch that. Okay, so yeah, that is funny. Pay him out, my bad. You, know, you remember just, that line, Jeff Daniels? He threw it around a lot in that movie. He was he was a he considered himself an in intellect, an in intellectual, and he was always trying to like bestow this upon his two kids. And they got in that big argument. He and Owen Klein, Frank, uh, I think they were playing table tennis, and he and Frank was saying, "What's a philistine?" And like Jeff Daniels' character like, explains to him what a philistine is, and he says, "Well, then I'm a philistine dad." He's like, "No, you're not." And he's constantly talking about like authors fillet the fillet, like there is their best book of their career. You know what I mean? Look into that. I I just came up. I just came up with the theory. The whale again. I just great. 
I just came up with, with a theory right now, Anderson, that any character or film named Frank you're going to love, just like I love every single movie, you know, whether it's Squid in the Whale with Frank or whether it's Frank or Uncle Frank. Is there, is there a uh, thread there? Right. Because, yeah, yeah. You know what I don't like this, Frank? What? Uh, uh, Frank moviegoers. Those are the ones that uh, <laughs> laugh very loudly at uh, things that aren't funny and that breathe through their mouth and eat nachos in movie theaters. And they're Franks and they love Marvel movies for the most part. I don't like those Franks, Greg. You don't like those Franks. Okay. That's it. We've covered. Wait, you have one no. more. You have one more. One, one more. last one. This is VOD only, so it's kind of a cheat. Oh, okay. And that's the world we live in. Um, there is a documentary coming out that sounds fairly fascinating to me. And it's a, <coughs> excuse me, a portrait. Yeah, no of the uh, uh, what's considered uh, somebody who's considered the world's greatest living explorer, so Sir Ran Ranulph Fiennes, a, 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 and uh, it goes beyond the record-breaking achievements to explore the man behind the myth. So this guy has gone done everything from uh, going from pole to pole, uh, as in North Pole to South Pole. I gotta look up that North Pole because I don't understand how it exists. There's a tiny little cap up there. I, I don't even know what this is. I, I don't even know what the project is. The last- so. It's Paramount, I think. It's one of the big studios, but they funded this, and uh, it's all about this Ranulf. Ranulf Fiends is the guy's name. I don't. I've, I have no reference of. I, I have no idea who this guy is. Apparently, he. I, I think something about James Bond. Like he almost got cast as James Bond back in the, like the early years. This guy is. It's a really good documentary. Sheds a ton of light on something super interesting that you've never heard of before, and I think that this movie Explorer has uh the the possibility of doing that there's so many documentaries so many good ones that came out this year that i still got to catch up with but this is definitely one that i i'm going to put on my list explore it comes out oh what's the date the 30th or something it's like a tuesday and as always i'm going to thank anderson cowan for helping me open up my email which i should have opened up a week ago regarding explorer or explorer link to me because I, I want to watch that one. it's two hours and 20 minutes which concerns me but i mean if the man's lived a full life maybe it should be longer Okay, I we will be watching Explorer and we will give an update. That's it. Thank you, Anderson. I, I, I that's awesome. That's awesome. All right. That's, that's all I have to say about that. Anything- Matthew Dias is uh, the, the director, and I, I'm not familiar with anything that he's done, but he has done some things. He's been working since 2008. Where he okay. got he cut his teeth on Oceans, which is the TV miniseries, which I really appreciate. Okay, thank you. I'm excited to watch Explorer, and I, I have, we have some links to get to and watch. And uh, anything else before we go, Anderson, for this episode 158? Anything you want to mention? No, I don't have time. I have to go watch The Gray Man again. <laughs> All right, the Gray Man could be better is if Steven Spielberg co-directed it. Oh, by the way, oh, one more thing. You're going to watch Squeal, right? Even though the, one of the director's favorite movies, he he named a, a Kubrick film, which is your favorite movie. You're going you're gonna to bond. Oh. Yeah, Barry Lyndon. He loved Barry Lyndon. So I, it's not going to stop you from watching that's Squeal. Just, that's just code for, for what? smug. Code for smug? Yeah, it's, it, it's code for movie snob. That's what it is. It's like... Don't really? you worry. You know how like Eric Holmes knows music, I mean, music movies so well, and he can break them down. Same with Bruce, but yeah, Eric's uh, favorite movie is Gremlins, and he's fine with that. Yeah, the opposite of that is somebody who's insecure. I think, like, Greg, okay. I love you. Yeah, but there's no way you actually like that movie as much as you think you do. You Go know what? And, Barry, and you've never been able to explain to me why you love Barry Lyndon. You I've reached the Zoom know. limit. No we have to. Can. We have to go now. No one and... can explain <laughs> other than lighting. <laughs> the beautiful lighting, natural lighting. Uh-huh, with that, there it is. <laughs> Love you, Anderson. We'll see you next time here on Cinematics. Uh, you know, okay. Bruce's favorite movie is great. Uh, Harold and Maude, right? Harold and Maude. Yeah, it's, it's one of your favorites too, remember? What's your so. favorite movie of all time, Greg? Which Brian De Palma movie is your favorite? 
I would, yeah, I would probably Raising Cain is right up there. But there's this movie. Look, I'm getting older. I'm 50. There's a movie from Akira Kurosawa called Redbeard, which I really like. But to be honest, Redbeard. Yeah, it's a beautiful oh, movie. And also Barry Lyndon's right, right up there too. Because I, I, I'll be honest, I am a movie snob. And, is it and really I, up there, Greg? It, it barely. It's really, My really theory of, of critics, in particular, who or people in general who say Barry Lyndon's their favorite Stanley Kubrick movie, it, it, that they're they're trying to elevate themselves to beyond like what the to make them seem like more of a serious film uh snob I, it doesn't fit you because that's not how you are that's but true i i do prefer dijon gria poupon um, you know I'm just, I'm, I'm just gonna say and i sauvignon over beer so all right can you mix uh, any music here greg or should i play something just I'll, I'll, lines we, up. yeah uh no no we'll, we'll yeah we, we'll, we'll, I'll, yeah we'll do the music folks we'll see you next time here on cinematics thanks guys bye-bye Hey guys, what's up? Here's my interview with Ryan David. He is a very interesting filmmaker. And yeah, he has a new movie called Future Days, Future Days. And it centers on this guy played by, by Brandon Sklenar. And yeah, he's, he's really trying to repair his relationship with his girlfriend, soulmate played by Tanya Raymond. And what happens is he finds a way to actually travel into the future, a time travel situation where he gets to inhabit the body of his future self to try to repair things, to to repair his relationship with his lover. So that is the, the premise behind Future Days. And while I was watching this movie, it really reminded me the way the editing, the compositions, the way it was structured, re- reminded me of, of a film... Uh, from like a early Christopher Nolan movie with all the edits and the nonlinear narration. And then even with Christopher Nolan, one of Nolan's biggest influences as a filmmaker is director Nicholas Rogue. If you haven't seen any of Rogue's material, you should check out movies like Walkabout or Don't Look Now. One of my favorites is, yeah, one of my all-time favorites films is Walkabout and really love I also really love Don't Look Now as well and he's done other films like Eureka and I and we also during this interview reference a movie that I really loved back in my 20s mid 20s called Bad Timing Essential Obsession uh, I think right now it's called Bad Timing and what's a really interesting story I did not mention during this Ryan David interview is Back in the day, my buddy Dred Scott, he was a co-worker with me over at Westwood One. He was going to interview Art Garfunkel. And one of the things I begged him to ask Art Garfunkel was about his experience making Bad Timing a sensual obsession. And I wish I still had that cassette tape of Art Garfunkel, but props to Dred Scott for that one-on-one interview with Garfunkel. And, you know, there's so many things you gotta, you can ask him, but he was, he was able to throw in my question about bad timing. So there was a time and a place where Nicholas Rogue was very important in my life, a lot of, during my twenties and, and early thirties. And to, truth to tell, He's a filmmaker. Oh, also, a lot of you might know Nicholas Rogue's movies with The Man Who Fell to Earth and whatnot. That's a very popular film of his as well. I think he also did, yeah, I think, yeah, he did The Man Who Fell to Earth. But anyways, going back to Ryan David and, and Future Days, his movie is very ambitious and it reminded me of the work of Nicholas Rogue. So we talk about Rogue a little bit in the, in the interview. I asked him why, oh, there is a phone call. Hold on a second. So I also asked him why he lives in Portugal. He, he moved from LA 
to go to Portugal. And LA is a very industry town. It's where you make, get your films made, you shoot your indies. I don't know. It's, it's a, it's a pretty much a, a cow town when it comes to the entertainment industry. So then he just up and moved to Portugal, which I thought was very interesting and a very cool thing to do. And so he talks about his life in Portugal and wh- how it helps him as a film and inspires him as a filmmaker. So that's discussed. And also, most importantly, he talks about the premiere of his movie Future Days over at the CineQuest Film Festival this Saturday on August 20th, 2022. So all that information will be in the show notes. And yeah, I hope you eventually when it comes around your area, if you're in San Jose around that area, buy a ticket, check out Future Days and tell me what you think of it. And anyways, look out for this movie down the road. Some really good performances by the actors. And I really liked the indie and nonlinear perspective of relationships in this movie. A lot of really cool flourishes with Future Days and a very cool interview with Ryan David. Check it out. And thanks again, guys, for listening to me and Anderson and Bruce and and Eric over here at Cinematics. Take care, guys. Have a good weekend watching movies. Bye. First off, Ryan, there's just an amazing level of editing prowess for this film. How do you... I I mean, the, the idea is is to compose a shot, but this film is just really on another level, just on that. How did you actually frame it? Can you just talk to our listeners about just your whole editing aesthetic behind this film? Because it's very um, elevated, in my opinion. Yeah, well, I think, um, I mean, you know, it's hard. It's a chamber drama, and it's don't have that many characters. In my first film, I had the same kind of thing, but I kind of really had an old-fashioned kind of compose my shots, kind of like 1950s. And I just wanted to try something completely different. And I shot with two cameras. And so that allowed for the dialogue. And I think I just wanted to not replicate TikTok, but I think in this modern era of like how MTV changed everything in the 80s and how editing was, I wanted to kind of, I really wanted to make a movie for the younger audiences could relate to. Um, I feel like they've kind of like moved out of cinema. And so it was a balance of trying to both kind of stay traditional, a lot of my cinema grammar that I love, but at the same time kind of push it forward. So I was kind of trying to reach forward and backwards in time. And the movie's about time. And I think also it was great because the themes of the movie were about kind of showing juxtapositions of things and how everything's kind of happening. You know, it's like that movie, everything all at once, whatever that just came out. And so I think a a lot of those ideas of things happening at the timeline um, was a lot of kind of how we wanted to approach this kind of, uh, perspective of kind of quantum physics is this idea of everything's infinitely fractal. And so I think the editing kind of came out of that, those kind of these broad ideas and then trying to show quantum physics and this kind of idea of depending on which prism you're looking through, you see different things. I think that's kind of how we, we went about kind of pushing the editing forward. From your vantage point, why is CineQuest just a perfect place as far as Releasing your your film as far as a world premiere, what do you like about that space and just that community that will see your film? Yeah, I'm excited because I just think that San Jose is great because it's about you know the tech community and San Jose and Stanford and all of the things around that um, is so interesting to me, and I just think that that community will embrace that a little bit more um, as opposed to more traditional film festivals. So I'm excited about that, and I'm also excited about. Um, VR and kind of and, and there's um, Neil Baumkamp made a movie last year called Demonic and he used the software of Unity of motion capture stuff 
And um, I, my next film, I really want to kind of play with that as well. I have these kind of um, not animated sequences, but semi, you know, and, and I was originally going to have them just be animated. But after seeing that movie, I'm like, oh, I can kind of do it this way. So I think being able to be at CineQuest um, to meet those meet contacts and things there and knowing that that's kind of where, you know, gaming and, and cinema is going to kind of collide. You know, this year, Elder Scrolls came out of video game and it was like tied to the guy who wrote the, uh, Game of Thrones. And I think you'll start to see video, like you'll see, one day you'll see a Quentin Tarantino, you know, directing a segment of a, a cinema cutscene. <laughs> you know, or the kind of this, like those mixed things. I think that's where the kind of the future is going. It's like before Scorsese would never direct a pilot episode of something, Fincher wouldn't. But now you'd say, you know, in, in 10 years, you know, a famous director might be directing cutscenes of video games. And I'm, uh, I'm sure they'll want to combine those brands to bring the marketing aspects in. So I think that's a cool thing. That's so awesome. So watching your film, I'm thinking, I'm going through a lot of emotions. I'm thinking this is a, it's a sci-fi film, but it feels like a John Cassavetes film, but then it has the sort of the wonderful style and, and emotion and resonance of a Nicholas Rogue film. There's some Christopher Nolan elements. And yeah. I'm wondering if any of these filmmakers wow. that I mentioned just really influenced you because it seems there's so many things going on in your film in a good way. And I, yeah. I was just... Yeah. So anyways, just- that's amazing. I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, I mean, Nick, Nick, Nicholas Rogue has been a huge influence on me. My, my first film, his son, Max was in my film. Um, his, 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 um, his mom is Teresa Russell and there is the movie, uh, bad timing. And my first movie was a lot to do with bad timing. So I think I kind of, in my first film, I'm, I think that I was kind of still borrowing from my influences instead of making them mine. And I think this time I kind of like, let them go. But like John Cassavetes is all the same type of thing with my first film. And I think, yeah, I think all of those filmmakers you mentioned were a huge influence on me. And, but this, this time I kind of trusted myself. And so it's, you know, every time you make a movie, you don't know what you're doing until you make a movie. And every time you kind of go back to the well, you kind of get better at doing what you're doing and you start to become yourself and find your voice. So all of those filmmakers definitely like really influenced me, but I feel like this time I kind of put them together in a way that, you know, recombine them in a cool new way that I think people will, you know, uh, will be excited about if they know cinema. So you're one of the first people that noticed all those influences. So I appreciate that. Oh, thank, yeah. Thank, uh, this is just an out there question, but I think you have, just from watching your film, you have the skill to actually, if you want to set up shop at some kind of production office or studio here in Los yeah. Angeles, and I'm not knocking LA because I love LA, but but yeah. the, the idea that you you know the fact that you can actually live in Portugal and then do LA, maybe one one weekend you're in New York or Chicago, being an international filmmaker, has that been part of your aesthetic, or am I overthinking things regarding expanding your visual language, knowing different cultures, and then yeah. realizing that can add to what you want to do as a filmmaker? Yeah, well, I went to NYU, and I think yeah, I think I was in LA for so long that I was kind of not getting stifled, but it, but everything in LA just feels very. I mean, I love cinema. I love TVs. I keep up with everything, but I just, it gets getting to the point where even the summer where I'm trying to keep up with the shows and I just, even if it's a show that blows you away, you still kind of, even like the show Blackbird, I loved it, but it still kind of feels like Pat. And I think I was really trying to make, I think people are searching for novelty right now and we have so much content and I really wanted to like go swing, swing for the fences of, you really didn't know where my movie was going to go. And so regardless of what you saw this year, even if it's like the, you know, you know, going to win the Oscar, if you see my film too, my film might stick in your head a little bit better simply because it is so novel. And I'm, and I'm, I was thinking about it the other day, I'm really trying to make art and films that remind audiences how smart they really are. <laughs> <laughs> 
And, uh, you know, and I, and I think that like um, for like my movie, even though it's very heady film and very philosophical, I think I really kind of went back to the well about like love stories, you know? Um, and I think that I wrote this thing down that, um, yeah, Hollywood, a lot of times, I don't see many movies about love. I see a lot of movies about falling in love or about romantic and sexual attraction, but I don't see movies about love anymore. And love is kind of the hard conversations you have with people when like, you don't know if you want to be with them anymore. <laughs> and so I think that's the Cassavetes kind of thing that you were talking about. Um, and so I think that that's kind of what I wanted to do with this and kind of like what I'm trying to do. And I think it's a very more European type of cinema. And so I think I came here because, you know, I just to have, to have being in Europe and be, be surrounded by it a little bit more it inspires me more to kind of keep going. Whereas in LA, you know, it's been hard to try to push this movie out there, getting people to watch it and to understand it because, you know, just, yeah, LA right now is very much, you know, about figuring out what's going on with streaming and kind of finding the right content. And so it's not, it's not a place to shepherd a filmmaker like myself right now, but doesn't mean I'm going to keep going to quit or I'm going to keep trying. I hate to bite the hand that, that tries yeah. to feed us, but I, you know, it seems like when, when people say content, I think of monetization of products, you know? Yeah, <laughs> it feels, of course. Yeah, but I'm glad this this movie exists, and we're going just going back to Rogue. I mean, for him to have to cast people like Julie Christie and Donald Sutherland, or in with bad timing, you have Garfunkel, Keitel, and uh, Teresa Russell. You have to have actors who are lockstep with a filmmaker and are actually going to go there. And how yeah. did you know your your two leads would actually go there? And actually, you said you wanted to actually not be just craftspeople working on a movie about something, but they actually have to be really lockstep and just yeah. go over the boundaries in, in a good way, I think, creatively. Yeah, I think, I mean, I kind of got lucky with uh, Brandon because we had another actor and that actor, when we got closer to shooting, had a third child and kind of step out out like two weeks before. And then I was putting a lot of people in front of me quickly and I was like, kind of in pre-production and everybody was trying to, again, in the Hollywood way, try to sell the, the actor they thought was most marketable. But I was like, but at the end of the day, if the movie doesn't work, who cares if he's more marketable? And so to me, I went with the authentic choice, even against people's wishes. Um, it's amazing because Brandon is now, I mean, I can't say which uh, show he's about. He just got booked on, but it's a pretty big show with Taylor Sheridan. And so um, you know, it went from him being kind of this like no-name guy to like you know, the next year or two, we'll kind of hear more from him. But I think, yeah, I just kind of, I, I had seen Tanya, Tanya's work on Goliath and she came in and she read for me and some of her, her caliber would never have come in and read for me for a director. Um, and so, uh, especially for like a small budget film like this. And I, so I just kind of like trusted my instincts with her and him. And then I shot two camera the whole movie. So my thing was, is okay, how we did it was even if they didn't really understand the dialogue because it was kind of heady, I would let them kind of rewrite the scene the morning of with my editors on set with me. And so he would rewrite it with them knowing what I kind of wanted. I would be working with the crew and then I would get the new pages. Um, and then I would sometimes not even know what the scene that they were doing. I would be learning the scene and they would just go and then they would kind of do my scene first. And then it would be like, but there would be like 10, 15 minute takes and they were just, so they were really in it. Um, obviously sometimes it went really off of the wall from where I wanted the story to go. And it was, would be kind of hard to tell the story because it was away from the plot. But then in the editing room, Matt and I knew we could go back to what we wanted. So it was like, it wasn't, I think that a director's kind of sometimes gets so worried that actors improvising is going to ruin the movie, but you can, the director's job in the editing room is to bring it back. So as long as we had them doing what we wanted, letting them roll with it, there's like little moments that 
I think where the moments of chemistry between them weren't in the, in the scene originally, but we could re-edit those things back in. So it kind of was a really interesting experience. You know, I, I just, I'm picturing someone like you who's grew up a cinephile and you really want to push the boundaries uh, and the language of cinema that maybe, do you think from your vantage point that one of the keys to becoming a, a really successful filmmaker is the idea of staying in an edit with your editor or, or by yourself in your thoughts hours on end alone or something, you know, because it seems like with this kind of, with something as sophisticated as this film, you need to spend hours upon hours upon days upon months just obsessing yeah. over the film. And, and then you have to be okay with being alone and sometimes being shut out from maybe the, the light outside or something like that. Is yeah, that a- for sure. For sure. I mean, I think that my first movie, I, it was just weird, just kind of circumstances of how we, we didn't shoot everything all at once because it was cold outside. And so we had to wait for a couple months. So it was just, I learned through just no fault of my own, this kind of like slower process. And so I think I just kind of carry that into this, this movie. And um, yeah, my process is look, Mike Nichols took, it took him a year to edit the graduate. And so, um, you know, that was how they edited it back then. I think Bob Fosse, the same, I think, you know, Bob Fosse, when he did um, all that jazz was another big influence on this film, actually, interestingly enough, um, but, and, uh, in the movie Altered States. And it's funny because Bob Fosse and Patty Chayesky, those two movies were very, they wrote them at the same time. Um, so those were both influences, but yeah, they, they edited for a year. And so I think me knowing that those things take time and, and my movies are so complex and my puzzle pieces, when I get them are so complex, sometimes it's hard to figure out how to tell the most economical story. And I'm really lucky that my editor is not a cinephile at all and does not care. <laughs> and he's the complete opposite of me. So I would never really, think that. I would never. Th- that that is weird. I know it's awesome, and it's like great because he's like he's like a really he's become like my work wife. But we, it's awesome because he knows how complex I am, but he's not precious about my ideas. So he's always and I always say to him, "How do we make this as palatable for a child as possible?" Because I know I'm so heavy. So he's really great because he's that counterbalance of like, okay. He's from Indiana. How could my mom from Indiana watch this? And so we always try to go back to, at the end of the day, this is for the audience. It's not about for the filmmaker. And so we always try to, you know, as crazy as we go, you know, think about the, you know, the end user and their experience. Ryan, my, my final question is a two-part heady question for you, for you to cool. answer. First off, uh, and then I apologize for the first question. What, yeah. what can you, right off the top of your head, can you name one of your all-time favorite movies? And what is it about this film that continues to resonate with you today? And the second part of my question, since this person was brought up in your film, what is yeah. your favorite Brian De Palma film and why? Uh, yeah, because that's my favorite yeah. director. So sorry. Yeah. Oh, so funny. I mean, I would probably say my favorite Brian De Palma movie. Huh. That's a good question. Maybe High Mom. That's. I mean, <laughs> how did I know you'd answer that? That's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, De Niro. It's like one of the first. It's funny. He found De Niro, and also the scrolling thing on Star Wars. That was Brian De Palma's idea. That scrolling text oh. in the beginning. Yeah. Because Brian De Palma hated Star Wars, but they were all like they all hung out together. And his idea for that scrolling text in the beginning was actually a Brian De Palma idea. Um, in terms of uh, one of my favorite movies, and how I, I would probably say, and it really affected this movie is two movies is um, you know Vanilla Sky and the original Abres um, los Ojos. So I think those two films um, very much influenced me as um, you know when they came out, and I think that they a lot of my work centers around kind of those themes. And I think, you know, it obviously plays into this movie too. So. Cool. Ryan, thank you so much yeah. for your time. Re- yeah. I really appreciate it. I really enjoyed yeah. your film as well. Yeah, so very sophisticated you. stuff. And, yeah. But, thank you. Sure. Appreciate okay. it.